Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Bailey, and as ever, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I am doing quite well, and I'll have you know that my third grade in- teacher indicates that I am a quick study. <laughs> well, how are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. In that case, then, uh, there's going to be a pop quiz on this film later, and it will be uh, towards 10% of the uh, <laughs> the season's overall score. Um, no, I'm, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um I, I, I'm going to say I, I enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed this this, this episode's film, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Um, I'm wish I, I wish I'd seen this earlier, is what I'd say. Actually, I wish I'd seen this a lot earlier when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, this this episode we are talking about the 1956's uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, um, directed by uh, Fred F. Sears. Um, and starring a number of people that you've probably never heard of, but mm-hmm. um, just to give a quick, quick, simple plot: um, a, a, a husband and wife, um, a scientist and his secretary, or from the secretary pool, which they make a big thing of, which is incredibly fifties. Um, are buzzed by basically that there was a number of things they work for a scientific uh, science thing that's launching exploratory rockets into space. Um, it's called Skyhook. Uh, and uh, when they are returning to this, they are buzzed by a flying saucer and they get a, a sound bite from them that makes no sense. Um, however, when they return to the thing, uh, to the, the station, uh, Skyhook is attacked and a flying saucer lands, which destroys uh, a lot of the base. Um, and from there, we learn that the flying saucers are looking to invade Earth and the, the, a battle ensues. Oh, we won't go into much detail on that because we'll go into more detail as we go. But generally, that that's it. But... Um, what 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 are your initial thoughts on this, Julian? So, uh, this 1956 classic, I think, really, is this seems to be the case. Absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, I have not seen this either, and I, I wanted to see it. So I, this was one of my picks. Um, mm. And I'm really glad I put it put it on there. I, th- I think this is it was a lot of fun. Mm. It still could. It is incredibly confused. Uh, you know, <laughs> it is not well done on almost any level, except the special effects are amazing for their time. Oh, yeah. And it is such a, like, definitive 50s flying saucer invasion film. Like, you and I have both seen a million clips from this movie, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, like, Mars Attacks is a pastiche of scenes directly in this movie. Mm. Um, especially that invasion sequence. A lot of it is directly, you know, sort of like, here's a little vignette of you know, the aliens <laughs> trashing stuff. Which is so awesome. I mean, it's just so enjoyable. Uh, yeah, no, that the the moment that really made me chuckle is the bit where they bring down the Washington Monument, mm-hmm. and it, it, exactly, it's almost like shot for shot done again in uh, Mars Attacks in a very similar. But then they obviously have the joke of it 
catching it and knocking it down the other way and stuff. So we we said when we watched Mars Attacks, we were like, you know, oh yeah, this is this is sort of obviously satirizing all these things. When you watch this, you go, oh no, you need to have seen this first. Like this is yeah. this a, you know, it's a direct reference. Um, you you are right though that there's so much in this there's so much in this film that's wrong <laughs> in many ways, but. I, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a good fun film, and also I so said the DNA of this film appears like you know the, the one I kept thinking about as well was Independence Day. Yes, um, yes, um, yeah. I kept thinking like, are they gonna you know blast the White House? You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, they're close. Um, yeah, it, it you know it's clear that Independence Day is literally sort of like a, a modern update of this film, and I think there was at the you know Roald Emmerich and stuff were hoping you'd never seen it, and that's why it made so much money. But um, yeah, that's just the like '90s CGI version of this movie, uh, it, you know, with more. I mean, it's got the same like over reliance on human scenes and stuff to kind of pad out the expensive special effects and stuff, um, but it, it is just a remake of this um and i also kept thinking of uh i'm a huge fan of uh, the destroy all humans video games mm-hmm. you know which obviously is a ripoff of mars attacks um but you know in there they also focus on the um on congress and <laughs> you know the destruction of congress and everything and it's so much fun but what i find amazing is we both love this and this is, in some sense, the stupidest movie we have looked at so far over the yeah. 50s. Like, <laughs> it, it has nothing to say. The key thing is, it has nothing to say about every, anything, right? Like, even nope. them is deep compared to this movie. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. Yeah, that, well, that's what sort of surprised me. I kept sort of looking for things. And I was like, right, it's, it's going to make a commentary on something. And then they do something again. Like they'll, make, they'll do, like, a stupid thing. And you're like, no. No, no, yeah, yeah. They, they, <laughs> they, they come across an alien in its suit, and it's like you know they take the helmet off and all this other stuff, and it's this 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 um um wrinkled sort of you know sort of almost like a razor kind of thing. You know, like, right? So now they're going to have this whole um you know there's going to be some sort of commentary on resources and you know invaders. No, no, no. It's just it's just fun. It's just that it, it doesn't really want to say anything. It just it's just you know. It's 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 interesting to know that this is known more as a Ray Harryhausen film than it is as a a, a Fred Sears film. Well, it was created to as a vehicle for Ray Harryhausen, yes. you know, to to do that. Um, and you definitely like, you know, I mean, you and I probably grew up much more with like Clash of the Titans, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. definitely see that same you know hand at work in like mm-hmm. the destruction of the Capitol. But I wanted to say a couple of things about like the the discovery of that alien with the one shot where you actually see them with the helmet off. First of all, I thought this is a gray alien, right? Like this is yeah. the grays. Yeah, it, it is so close. I mean, it's at an angle and they are wrinkled, but it does look phenomenally like the gray aliens. Um, and I wonder how much of an influence it had on the sort of collective unconsciousness that formulated the. Not that not that the greys aren't real and visiting us, but uh, you know that it, on the collective unconsciousness. And the second thing is like maybe maybe we're being unfair. Like it, it does if it has something to say. The message of this film is basically like vote Ronald Reagan. <laughs> like <laughs> you know that main actor is such a. I mean he makes Clint Eastwood seem like he's overly emotional. His <laughs> his you know. 
he his inflect you know the way he delivers his lines is so Ronald Reagan. It like he's a scientist, but he you could just tell like there's no interior space. There's yeah. no this is a guy who is just a stereotypical masculine guy. And the other thing is that the like it it plays on earlier notions from like the pulps of uh and you see this in you know a lot of the planetary fiction stories of like um you know this alien races like you even see this in like um uh the 78 superman that the like these aliens they have relied on their technology and it's made them weak Mm -hmm. uh and here, us humans, especially us American men, we're strong and we're tough and we've been exposed to more diseases and germs. And, you know, uh, we can take them in a fight, but they need this, you know, like helmet to augment their senses, you know. And so the protagonist is sort of the, you know, Reagan, Ronald Reagan, sort of like, I, I don't like too much thinking. You know? yeah. <laughs> scientist. Well, that that's a, it's funny you mentioned because that was something that I got in my notes is he clearly so there's there's almost like there's two bits of this film like he has to be a scientist for at least the two thirds and then in the finale when they've got the sound gun um hmm. the, the sort of sonic gun and he's in the back of a jeep and he's like he clearly looks more comfortable hmm. yeah. like you've got this bit where he's like okay I've got my leather jacket on and I'm I'm looking cool and I've got this stuff like that's what he, he that's that's probably what sold him on this film he's probably a contract player to be honest but. Yeah, I agree. Like he's the least convincing scientist I think we've seen in this collection so far. Um, well, I love how he, you know he's they you know again we we've seen this before like in um, you know w- uh, when worlds collide where it's like how did these people get put in charge? <laughs> you know, like how did the military is just like you know what he's a smart guy and came up with that sonic gun thing. Um, we're gonna put him in charge of our defenses. And you see him around the Capitol, and the only order he barks is like, "Keep firing the sonic guns!" You know? <laughs> shoot, <like> shoot! <laughs> we know, we know. That's what we do. Shoot! Yeah, I mean, it, one of the things I would say about this film, we, we we noted a lot in previous films, was the lack of military presence mm. uh, in a lot of the films, or or when it was introduced, it was usually to in support of um, a science. Uh, and even in them, you know, it was very much um, driven by a, a, a science element. This one, though, is probably the first one where I would say there's a gung ho element to it. Um, and uh, like I said, the, the you know the, the the first couple, the scientist and his wife, are, bu- are buzzed by the, the UFO and they get there. And then when the when the UFO lo- lands at the, the Skyhook base. There's none of this sort of like maybe they come in peace. Everyone's like, <laughs> grab the biggest artillery you can find. We're gonna blast them, and it's like that's the instant military response in this film is like, and they kill one of them, and then this thing's like, all right, fine, blows up Skyhook anyway and disappears, and like literally wipes people out. And you're just yeah, like, the aliens are like, game on, mother everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to correct you because you said that in your summary, like they attack the Skyhook base, but you're right. Like what's funny, the humans fire first. And what's funny is you then find out later, they, they totally plan on taking over earth. So yeah. why did the humans fire first? It's like, it's, it's uh, the day the earth stood still 
for like a minute and then it's like never mind that they really want our women you know yeah it's a really bizarre thing we like the the the, the military were right to open fire but not it, I, I i the one thing i would say actually if we're going to take something from this film is about an invading force and i like the fact that this is it's quite interesting that they find out that this noise that they collected by accident i'll, I'll mention um when they were buzzed by the by the um a, a, by the ufo it's it gets slowed down and to be fair, I like this idea they have about them working in a different time stream. But um, they, it slows down and they find that it's a message. And it's basically that we're coming to Skyhawk and we want to talk. And so he's like, oh my God, they wanted to communicate with us and we tried to attack them. So the film does try and set them up as being almost, I wouldn't say benevolent, but there's not, there's not an attack mode to begin with. Until he starts to talk to them, and then they're like, "Oh no, no, we are here to take your planet, um, but <laughs> yeah. we wanted to just, we wanted you to recognise that we are better than you in every way, and we we sort of wanted you to give in that." Yeah. You know, yeah. And you, and they're like, "What? What?" And I think they get taken on the US, on the spaceship and told this, and one's like, "Well, you know, why? What happens if we rebel? What happens if we fight back?" And the aliens are like, "Well." We'll wipe you out and stuff, but you know it's not great because it means we end up with a ruined planet. But we sort of want you to give in. You know, look at us. We've got these spaceships. We've got interstellar travel and lasers. What have you got? You know, it's sort of. Um, I, I love that there's an arrogance to the aliens as they turn up and they're like, well, yeah, of course you're going to give up. Well, we're not going to attack you because we want your planet. Don't ruin it. Um, and I just found that really interesting. That that is something I thought of this invading force and the arrogance they have of turning up and saying, "No, no, we're we're superior in almost every way." Um, about yeah, I love that. I w- I wish it were underlined more, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I wish that you had that protagonist saying that, like, you know, they this is how they think. Um, I found I I love that idea, and yeah, we should surrender. I mean, we're not going to develop a sonic gun or something. Um, but I found the alien presentation utterly incoherent. Um, you know, like, why do you have the human shoot first? Why, you know, it's like, I love that scene, too, where, you know, they're sort of trapped in the rubble of Skyhook and the tape recorder is slowing down as the batteries die. And, oh, my God, that was a message just really fast. Um it's a great idea. It's a great scene. Makes no sense whatsoever, right? You know, it's the same thing of like, um, you know, and you see this in, in real life UFO stories where the the presentation of technology is so inconsistent, right? Mm. Like, you know, these aliens can cross the gulf between stars. Uh, you know, they move between seconds on the clock, but they're too stupid to get the speed of the message right. Like, <laughs> if they can translate to English, no problem. It's yeah. just getting that speed right. It, well, there's a couple of things. Language in this film, we'll get into, we'll get to language uh, shortly. But that this thing of working, at, like say, this idea of them working in a different time stream or a different speed, I I like it as a concept because they and they do they present it in an interesting way because there's there's four people, including the scientist and his wife, that are taken on board a spaceship, and they're whisked away, and you basically sort of they can see through like a TV screen that they're they're up in space, and they're oh, they're th- we're thousands of miles away, and she says yes in seconds. And the the the, uh, the aliens say, well, no, actually, not in seconds. Um, check your watch, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, it's stopped working. Uh, and then it's like, well, check for a pulse. And it's like, I haven't got one. And she's like, neither have I. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, and then they're like, yes, because 
we are now between, you know, we are moving between the ticks of a clock or the, you know, the beats of your heart. And I'm like, again, it's like, yeah, the concept's good, but like, so how are they breathing? <laughs> exactly. How, how, what if, you know, so if it's between the beats of their heart, like, so that means that like, there's no blood being pumped to their brain. So the synapses aren't firing. So like, yeah, right. it, it, like this just doesn't work on a basic level. Um, right. I had the same thought, but then I think like, you know, there are Doctor Who episodes from 50 yeah. years later that make this same mistake, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, so I agree completely. I mean, it's a little more obviously an error here, but I mean, and you're right. It's like, and I think this is typical of this film, that it's got a bunch of cool ideas. Ultimately, the ultimate cool idea is just watch the destruction, but yeah. it does have cool ideas beyond that. It just has no consistent presentation of anything it's not about the plot it's not about no. you know no I, I, those I, ideas out i like some of the things that sort of even at the beginning of the film though one of the things i do like about this film is they try and present almost a skeptic's view from the outset so they're at some sort of like family barbecue kind of deal and there's some lights over the house mm. And there's, you know, it's quite blatant because you're watching this film that they are a part of this thing. And but the scientist is like, oh no, no they are not, um, you know, um, being manipulated. They're, they're what we refer to as Saint Elmo's fire, and it, it's getting written off. And, you know, it's one of those. You might as well just be saying like, oh no, that's swamp gas. Yes, it's it's you know this this silly notion because later in the film, later on in the film, he sees them again. And they take one of these lights out. It's you know, sort of, they they batter it or something. With the sonic gun, and he's like, mm. "Oh well, I used to think these were Saint Elmo's fire. I'm gonna have to uh, re <laughs> reassess." And I'm like, "You've seen, you've been on board a spaceship, <laughs> right? Maybe this scene should have come earlier." And yeah. and actually, that was taken out by a handgun. That's taken that's out right. by a that's, revolver. Yeah, that's right. And I, 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 with the first shot, <laughs> like, like, man, that is some amazing shooting. Yeah. Yeah, it was basically a drone. That's what it was. Yeah. It's like four yeah. propellers. Someone shot in, it falls down. You're like, oh well, that's uh, forty quid well spent. But this does go, this does get to um, you know one of the points that I do like about this is that you know like the they do mention um, they mention like they don't call it Foo Fighters, they call it like the Foo Lights. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but there was this phenomenon in World War II <laughs> of people seeing you know pilots seeing UFOs in, and they would call them Foo Fighters. Um, it was well established, right? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, allies and, and uh, Axis apparently both had saw these. Um, you know, so there, and then the opening narration, which is great, is mm. basically like, look, there are UFOs. People are seeing these lights in the sky. And then they cut to like a Project Blue Book, you know, analog. Um, and they don't know at the time that Project Blue Book was explicitly created to debunk these things yeah either to reassure the population or to hide the fact that there was extraterrestrial contact depending on what conspiracy theorist you ask <laughs> but they did actually try to debunk this stuff and they would mm -hmm. take stuff that you know it's just like look in most cases we're not gonna know what this was and they would say like you said swamp gas right yeah so there is this kind of way in which at this point in the 50s this is responding to that kind of zeitgeist of like no, this, there's this phenomenon that's been going on at least since the 40s. You had the great airship thing even earlier. I mean, yeah. this has been going on for a long time of people seeing 
lights in the sky. Is this aliens visiting us? Uh, you know, this is a question. This is something that, you know, is, and here is one possible explanation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good in that way that it, it does sort of, you know, like you say, it's tapping into the zeitgeist and that's clearly what this film is, is designed to do. It's, it's that pop culture wave, isn't it? It's trying to sort of get on. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it, it has those moments. Um, but again, like it doesn't seem to have the characters set up in 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 the way that I would expect. And again, maybe it's because this is a you know an early um, version of this story. But you'd have the scientist should be the believer. Mm. You know, he mm-hmm. should be the one going. Well, we do live in a, you know in an infinite galaxy, so it's very possible there could be you know life forms out there traveling. Most, and it should be the military that are like, no, no, you're talking shit, and and that's be it. But there's none of that. They're all skeptics. Even at one point, after the base is destroyed, they have like a group get together, <laughs> yeah. and they're all like, "Right, so this base was destroyed, but you know, you're telling us it was these aliens because you've tried to communicate with them, or at least you've got this message from them." But we, well, we we haven't got any witnesses, so we don't know what happened. You're like, "Yeah, they were all killed. You've actually seen that we, you know, there must be something left. We saw things vaporized." <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's so silly that they're like, and then uh, they get given a demonstration later on of, of they destroy a, like a, a ship in the ocean. Oh, yeah. But they've been buzzed by a UFO for ages until it's destroyed. Like, they must have got a message off. Um, and then they do, and then they do find out it's been sank. They sort of just believe him. And their instant response is, well, that's fine because we have hydrogen and atomic weapons. Mm. And, you know, even the guy's like, but that'll just kill us <laughs> that makes no sense yeah it, it's it all seems a bit confused like as to who it wants you to root for and who it wants you to say well that that's the stupid military nowadays i mean using independence day or, or even mars attacks as an example you have those tropes in place now where it's like ah the military with his big wet you know with the big bombs and all that sort of stuff and then you're the scientist who wants to use an alternative method um, it's not quite, it's not quite established in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, and, and the scientist does kind of become that mm-hmm. crusading skeptic after he's been on the UFO. But you know, as you say, like it's strange. Like, you know, okay, granted, is you know, apparently there are no survivors. There's no recording. The only survivors are the scientist and his wife. Um, so, yes, this base has been destroyed. Okay is the simplest answer that it was attacked by aliens, you know, okay, fine. But then there's this weird sort of like, oh, we've lost contact with the destroyer. Um, You know, I do kind of like thinking about the lack of technology and how in this sort of era, it's like, yeah, well, we've lost a destroyer. It could pretty much be anything. (laughs) We have no contact. There's no footage. There's no nothing. Um, You know, but... I, it's strange how, like, the proof that it is aliens is I know the coordinates, longitude mm-hmm. and latitude of the destroyer's destruction. Like, we watched it from space happen. It's like, yeah, you're just in with the Russians, aren't you? You know, yeah. like, if you're yeah. already a skeptic, why is that the proof? You know, the, the you know. That's a really good point, actually, and that did sort of cross my mind that, like, his proof of it is like, well, I can I can show you where the destruction is. Which again, now there'd be someone going, but that means you're all that tells me is you're in on it. Uh huh. Right. It doesn't prove anything, it just proves you're in on it. 
Um, but doesn't he actually sort of like seems to convince them and they're all like, well, I believe him now. He should really get on with working on this weapon. Um, the other thing I think is good, they get a ticking clock. Mm. They are giving a ticking clock. And, it, you know, so but, which I, I, and I, I, is a reason given for that in the film. No, the aliens just are like, look, uh, confer with your leaders. We'll give you two lunar cycles to do yeah. two lunar days. Right. Uh, to do it. It's just sort of like that's the time we're going to give you to put together your surrender plan. Yeah, it seems like a really long time because then he's like, because <laughs> then, then he's basically like, you've got you've got sixty days to build this gun, and the, the, but there's no the thing is as well like, at no point is there an alternative. They're like, well, we've got bombs and big weapons and stuff, and we're going to we're potentially going to have this sonic cannon you'd keep talking about, but at no point is anyone saying. All right, this is a much stronger, you know, superior force. We, you know, to save lives and everything, we need to have negotiations on the table. Absolutely. How are we going to engage and communicate with them? Nothing never comes up. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, look, the, the, look, the French people give give them shit for being surrender monkeys, right? Yeah. The French saved Paris. What city <laughs> survived World War II the best? Okay. Yeah. Paris and and yeah, the Nazis tried to blow it up on the way out. But you know, you think about the the rich history of Paris, and as somebody who loves Paris, imagining all of that would have been lost. Mm. Uh, you know, they they made a very brave decision there, um, and you know, we that should have been on the table. But again, this is the like Ronald Reagan sort of macho. <laughs> you know, like what we need is more. You know, over here in the states, we get these. Uh, ads on television all the time for like male enhancement supplements you know they're all right. cons they're yeah. all insane nonsense and they all are like uh start with images of men on the couch with their with their wives um you know where they're just like sort of like pudgy and out of and out of yeah. you know they're lethargic and then you know they get the supplement, and you see like the, the close-ups of the rippling muscles, and, <laughs> and they all the supplements. They all talk about like you know there's been a decline in American masculinity. It's time to get your man on. <laughs> this is that movie, right? You know, yes. um, the question like surrender is not on the table. We will fight, and if humanity is destroyed in the process, so be it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's it. And the thing is, you know, again, I, I understand why in this thing, but we see the UFOs at different points in the world. You see Paris, you see London, you know, you see these other places. But at no point do we ever see anyone because these people are like, you know, they've given this guy the chance with this new this this sonic weapon. But at no point does anyone sort of say, <clears throat> "Yeah, we're taking this to the UN," or. We've conferred with the world leaders and we've spoken with, the, you know, the German chancellor or, you know, the <laughs> even Canada. We haven't even spoken to Canada. The Americans are just like, it's just that thing of like, no, 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 we'll do it. Um, well, that's a very good point. I didn't even think of this, right? Like, has America, uh, America has presumably kept the sonic gun technology for itself. Yeah. Every other country in the world has been invaded. Like, you know, your country is in ruins because the Yanks are like, you know, it's it's like a coronavirus. Like, those are our vaccines. You know, you go ahead and die. It's not really fair, but, you know, not really accurate. But, you know, it yeah, definitely we, feels we'll like just it in this film. Let the rest I mean, of the world fall. 
I mean, they even to the extent that I'm I'm sure it's a, a meant to be a jab, but um, in in Independence Day, you know, which comes what forty years, literally about forty years later, there's a scene in that when they figure out about the weakness of how to break the the force field around the ships, and they got a plan, and it goes to somewhere in the Middle East, and there's some pilots there from different different countries and you have like a middle eastern one some british and that point then there's a the translation it's like the americans have come up with a plan and someone goes well, it's about bloody time <laughs> and you're like what were you, you was that your plan your plan was to sit back and wait for the americans to come up with like, that's the worst plan not because american couldn't but like be a bit more proactive like you know it's, but it, you know it's, that is our view of the world right yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that is that is completely accurate yeah. even among liberals it's just like you know look the world is waiting for American leadership again. When we get rid of Trump, the what, Europe's going to know what to do again. Yeah. <laughs> like even even other good guys here think this. Uh, yeah, it, it is funny in this film how that sort of feels. But you're right about the sonic weapon. Like they take the end of this film is like they take down the UFOs across Washington, and then they're like, "We've won!" And all I kept thinking is like, as you, as you say. What about everywhere else? <laughs> you know, like, what about us? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Westminster is in flames. You know? <laughs> I'm sat here just going, no, I've, I've given in. Uh, Britain's gone. And uh, <laughs> you, we didn't get a chance to get a sonic weapon. We didn't have Tom oh. Jones helping us. How 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 is the world worse off, right? Because America survived. That's all that we need, right? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about world human civilization. That's just us, right? I mean, yeah. it's the... <laughs> The myopia. <laughs> yeah. It is it is quite funny that I say you do get to the end of this film and it, it is a very and I get why. I understand why. It feels that thing of again, as weirdly some of the things we've seen have been, as I say, science driven. And this is what, ten years past um the end of uh, the Second World War. But this and this film definitely has more than the other films that feel of militaristic gung ho that sort of like you know post World War Two we are now the strong ones. I mean, the thing I would say is one of the things there were two things I was really expecting in this film, um, and I, one of them one of them was militarization. So I thought well, you know I've seen like you said I've seen clips I've seen that there's military so I'm expecting there to be more of a military presence than any other film. Yes. I was sort of expecting, and maybe it's, I don't know my history particularly well at this point, but I was ex almost expecting the aliens to represent some sort of like communist ideal. You know, I was expecting there to have some sort of, um, you know, we will come to you, we will make you one, and you, you know, there won't be this thing of um, whatever, like we will take down capitalism. I was expecting the aliens to be some sort of um, analog for communist Russia. Uh, and I was quite disappointed that that never that, that never comes up either. So, well, I mean, it's probably for the best, right? I mean, oh, yes, uh, yeah. But at the same time, I was thinking how how much a product of the Cold War, everything that we were just talking about, of you know how America sees itself, this mm. movie is right. Mm. Um, because you know, I mean, I mean, the truth is that throughout American history. We were never the global superpower. I mean, that's a development of World War II. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, before then, I mean, we, we there's a reason, you know, I, I like to joke, you know, we were, we were so inconsequential, they just called us the colonies. Uh, yeah. You know, we're so far <laughs> off the map. Um, 
I mean, we never had a a major military. By the time you get into the early 20th century, you know, we're on the map, but we cannot compete with the the mm. major powers of Europe. Um, but you know, and so we were actually a lot more international in a sense. Uh, always had an isolationist strain, right? Stay out of European wars was how it started. Mm -hmm. But so there was that isolationist strain, which you know. Stay out of dumb wars is a good idea. But, you know, we were always a much more international country than the myopia that we have starting in the Cold War. And it's really mm. the Cold War where it's like, look, it's us versus the commies. There are two global superpowers. Everybody else just needs to align with one or the other. Yeah. Everybody else is sort of inconsequential. And so that sort of American myopia of the film of sort of like it's just America is at the same time a reflection of the Cold War, even though there's mm. no clear communist analog. No, that's a really good point, I suppose, actually. That is true. Um, it is America-centric. And again, I understand why. Even from a budgetary point of view, I can understand why, you know, adding in people with different actors and uh, accents and stuff or whatever. But it would have been interesting to even have a drop line to say, that's right, we have. We've spoken to the French president, you know, whatever. Um but this, the weirdness, the, the daftness doesn't stop there, um, and there was there's a there's a moment or there's a thing in this film, a, a concept in this film that I paused the film because I, it made me <laughs> it made me laugh out loud, and I had to pause the film to sort of make sure I, I you know not it, it got, I proper guffawed at this at this, <laughs> um, and and you know so I, I'm I'm wondering if you can guess what it is actually. So they no, captured... I don't think I, I don't think. Okay, I, I, you're talking about the captured uh, guys who are who are brain scanned and, and turned into, and then they oh, just no, no, dump that, them. That, yeah, that, when they dump them, that's brilliant. They, they oh, literally yeah. like, kick them out. That that's really quite bad. But um, no, I thought that was hilarious because they're yeah. like, these are our like ambassadors. <laughs> we now have access to all your information. Well, and then they promise like we'll return them. Well, and they're they like, no, you you yeah. fought with us. Oh, we're just gonna throw them out. It's like, do yeah. you need them anymore? It just makes a cool visual. No, I have no idea what you're what you're talking about. So there's a they capture the alien and they've got the suit. They have the helmet and they they give through some some information around the helmet. And again, they talk about the fact he's got incre increased senses. Um, you know, so that he's got improved hearing and sight and this other stuff, and it's really robust. And all that stuff seems again, all that stuff is tapping into the stuff I understand from like Independence Day. Like you get a squishy alien in the middle, you know, and a, and a harder outer shell, outer shell, um, like a crab, like a crab. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, I sort of had that explanation. The one bit is they get the translator. Now there's the translator that really made me laugh. So they have the translator, and they give they've sort of they've got it wired up, and they have the the um. The female characters, uh, the wife, talking to a microphone, and she sort of quotes Shakespeare, and it translates it. I was like, okay, right, that's fine, that's interesting. And then the, one of them gives this idea, this concept of we are going to read it the dictionary, mm -hmm. we have, so we're going to read it the dictionary, so that we know what each of those words are in its version, its translation, and then we'll know exactly what it is they're saying. Mm -hmm. And all this stuff, I, I literally laughed out loud. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's not how languages work. <laughs> right. That's true. But it's not a dumb, like, it is a step you would do, right? Um, it may you be know, the that first doesn't mean step, that. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. They, it doesn't they, mean that you've cracked the code. No, it's no, the way that yeah. they do it. So it's the last step for them. They're like, "Well, we've read it in the dictionary," and I'm like, "Even we know that, that you know." I can. Yeah. What about what about there, there, and there? You know, we we there are there are words that just sort of like in French there are masculine words and feminine words that change by you know because of possession. Like language doesn't work like that. You know, it's not a collection of words because words change context when put together. Pluralization, you know, um, you know, uh, pronouns, all these things like have, and so Word I was like, order, you know, yeah, and so I was like, this, you know, it it just sort of, you know, I'm not an expert in even in English, <laughs> I, you know, but this this concept of just having, and also we don't know what concepts they have. Yes, exactly. That, that we don't have words for. They have interstellar travel. So, like, all weird news that they... So, and also, what words would you... Would you get to, like, pee and be like, pie, potty, right. like, you know, like, pothole. What? No, no. Think about words you, you should be focusing on. You don't start at A with aardvark and work through to zebra. Mm. Like, that makes no sense. <laughs> no, I mean, this is... Of course, you're quite right. Um, and... You know, I mean, those are things that I mean, like arrival uh, uh, obviously deals with sort of language and translation issues. And, <laughs> and and these are these are real issues. You're completely right. I mean, that struck me as like uh, it's thoughtful compared to most versions of translators, though. Like, <laughs> I like that they even have the translator. I love the look of it. I love it's yeah. sort of like a diamond like uh, flower design. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know. Uh, in fact, when they were in the alien ship and that descends from the ceiling, I was like, this is so cool. I love this so much. We're in oh, the flying sausage. Yeah. All but, the design aesthetics are great. I won't deny that. They are fantastic. So, I mean, of course, you're, you're completely right. Um, you know, I I find myself, you know, we've talked about these issues of language translation before, like mm -hmm. with the universal <laughs> communicate translator in Star Trek and, you know, the, the TARDIS and Doctor Who. It's like, we're going to wave, like, those devices know which there you're mm. using and magically put it including with idioms into another language and occasionally they have you know jokes uh, you know and doctor who about it but mostly they forget that this is really an operation so like the idea that somebody would bother to even think of reading the dictionary it's like yeah I, my thought was like yeah that's not gonna work the way you think it is <laughs> yeah. but at least it's somebody's thought about that, uh, the translation issues. They do say, like, Shakespeare would be mad about this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why, yeah. why would Shakespeare be mad? That that made me laugh. Like that, that, cause I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe I was just in a certain mood, but this whole section tickled me, like this whole thing around language. But the, And the, when he said that about Shakespeare being mad, it, all it could remind me of is, and I don't know if it's a true Shakespeare quote, but I always remember it being said... Um, Shakespeare should always be heard in its original Klingon, um, and <laughs> yeah. ever since that, that that always makes me laugh as well. It, it, it felt like that of like you know um, this idea of language being easily transposable to a completely different language. I mean, even uh, uh, recently, um, I there was a controversy around um, what's it called uh, Neon Genesis, um, the anime, mm. um, <clears throat> Netflix. Yeah, uh, Evangelion. Evangelion, that's it. Evangelion, the Genesis. And um, the, the Netflix has a new translation, a new audio track. And people are locking uproar because they're like, yeah. um, 
you know, oh, well, this has now got, instead of using, I think there's a, I haven't watched all of it, I only watched the first, I think the first seven, no, first nine episodes, so I haven't really got into it, but apparently there's a, there's a relationship where the, the, the Japanese um, emphasis in certain places and trans, you know, means something, but doesn't translate directly. If you translate it word for word, it comes across as I like you. But what it's supposed to be is sort of the, the more intent would be I love you. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's in friendship or maybe it's romantic. It's not really, it's unclear. And that's the point of this scene. Right. And in the original translation, that's what they said. But then Netflix has gone with this like literal translation. And again, so which it, is of so they were going with "I love you" instead of "I like you." No, the Netflix, the new one, goes with "I like you," which is a I think that's a better translation, right? Because because if you want to preserve that ambiguity, right, like that's in French too. Uh, yes. Je t'aime, you know, means "I like you" and "I love you." Mm. Usually said, you know, uh, between a man and a woman to be heteronormative. You know, mm. people assume that it's "I love you," um, but. That ambiguity exists, but if you want to capture that ambiguity, you have to go with I like you because in English, if, if somebody says I like you, you know, that's a strange thing to say. That usually indicates some sort of attraction. Um, yeah, I, I think it's been this thing in the in the past. And again, it's context, isn't it? This comes down mm-hmm. to the context of the scene and the way that the it, the way that the uh, the line is delivered, and, and yeah. you know, that, or the words are delivered in, in you know, whether it be in real life or you know, um, in a moment. And I think that's the point of these things: of these, when you get these translations um, in in a in a, an anime, I think is a really good example of this. Is this this thing? So with with you know, uh, Evangelion is um, when it's the original or the one that was originally used in the nineties or the early two thousand when it was done and it says, I love you. It's, it's done, but with ambiguity and that sort of like, it could be like, I love you, man. Or it could be Mm -hmm. like, you know, with said with the romanticism, Mm. but they said to to reduce it down to, I like you then doesn't play out for the rest of the, 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 Mm. the rest of the season. Like there's more story behind it. And the original Japanese intention was to have that thing of, is it love or is it, is it you know? Is it a bromance or is it a romance sort of thing? To one mm-hmm. of their phrase, mm-hmm. and again, like, but it comes down to emphasis, and I find that with language, even in even in English, you mm-hmm. know, even between let's like, say you know like you and I, it'd be sort of like between English, UK English and American English, there will be different emphasis and different like that. So, um, you know, to have to then, to then communicate with a um, an alien species. An alien species. I, I don't know. The whole thing just tickled me. This idea of reading it the dictionary and having that as the sort of like, you know, I'm pretty sure that's done. That, yeah. We're done with that. <laughs> that's it. Well, you know. oh, 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 and it's, well, I mean, the thing is, like, dictionaries of are fascistic. Okay, I mean, dictionaries are horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, dictionaries are a useful tool, but watch every you know English 101 student say like, oh no, that sentence, that's the right word. Why have you marked that a wrong word error? Um, because I looked it up in the dictionary, it means this. And it's like, yeah, technically, that's an explanation for that word. But you would never use it in this context. Yeah, You come off as like an English ESL speaker. This is not correct. Dictionaries are at best a tool, but they're an attempt to capture the language as it's actually used, not prescriptive. Um, and it's funny that they use Shakespeare as the example, which is what yeah. boggles my mind. Because, you know, you know, it's this idea of like when when you tell somebody like, oh, I have a Ph.D. in English, I've, I've ridden in cabs where some, you know, it's like 
they, you know, that comes up, you know, as it often does in, in a conversation in the first sentence. <laughs> I'm joking. But, you know, where I'm at an academic conference or something. And uh, and there's a, oh, well, I better watch my 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 language. I better watch my phrasing, you know, to, to uh, <laughs> you know, speak proper language. It's like, who gives a shit? That's not <laughs> what we study. Where it's like, yeah, as if Shakespeare would be like, I'm quite offended at poor grammatical usage. Shakespeare has terrible grammar, and all of Shakespeare was antiquated in its time. In fact, if you want to really translate Shakespeare into another language, you have to frequently find an antiquated courtly version of, like, Mandarin to -hmm. translate that into. Uh, you know, it you cannot just translate it into "Hey, buddy." Like that's not. Yeah. There's nobody saying "Hey, buddy" in Shakespeare. Um, you know, they say, "Oh, you know, I, I, what a great pleasure it is to encounter you once more." Nobody <laughs> fucking spoke like that yeah. in the Renaissance. Uh, so Shakespeare is like the worst example you could possibly <laughs> give there. But they again, it's like you said with the word thing. They don't know what they're what they're really. They have not thought about language. No, like you say, it's, it, I agree that they've given it at least a <laughs> passing thingy. But yeah, it, it just felt like say it felt like a passing thing where they're like, "Well, we've done this box ticked, move on," and then you sort of like, oh, "Okay, now we can go and shoot at things." Um, but it was it was it was quite interesting. At least they did give it a, the passing. But the the point is, the reason it felt like more. Like it should have had more emphasis is because this the, the plot literally starts with them capturing a message, mm-hmm. and so like translations and, and and messages are running at different speeds and stuff. Like it, it, you know, it felt like it should have been more import within the film that like you know, this could have all been avoided if we'd have talked or communicated earlier, or you know, uh, actually they don't mean invade in. The, you know, our terms, they mean invaders, you know, their version of colonization is not the same as that. They literally just want some land to live on. Like they're not looking to take over. They, they, they need, you know, and maybe that's more of a, like I said, that's not this this film. That, that It's not looking for that grey area. <laughs> it's not looking for that sort of, um, you know, that would probably come later. Um, but yeah, it, maybe I was just sort of, you know, expecting something. Again, it's this thing of like being a modern cinema watcher going back to some of these films you have sort of expectations and you go oh yeah they're not quite there yet yeah that's true i mean there is a primitivism i i also thought with the translation thing that they immediately go to well now we can decode their plans we now know their invasion plans it's just like it, it is just happened instantly right you know <laughs> and and i love that you know the aliens are just like we're not going to communicate by like data transmission on Wi-Fi, which of course doesn't exist mm-hmm. at the time. We're just going to broadcast by, I guess, radio between flying saucers. Like, here are our plans, dudes. Yeah. Um, but it, it did strike me of like a reference to uh, the Enigma machine and mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. these sort of like myths of, uh, you know, uh, I mean, of American and British, you know, superiority that we were able to uh, decode code, all. Yeah, the code breakers and Turin and yeah. all that. Yeah. But, except none of that is important in this film. No. <laughs> they, they don't ever come back to, like, what this comes down to is the, you know, Ronald Reagan acting scientist going, fire, fire. Yeah. You know, like, you know, they're going to 
start using pattern M. So position your guns to the south. No, <laughs> not not important at all. No, and it, you know, um, it it sort of comes to the the very last shot of this film, mm. and the quote is, um, and we'll get we'll get to the special effects in a minute because I wouldn't mind talking about those some more, but. Um, the the husband and wife are on the beach at the end, and they sort of she reads the newspaper about this declared that, that we beat the aliens, they're gone. And she's like, you know, she says to says to the husband, um, and they're really valid questions. Did we really beat them? Will they be back? Will there be more? And his response is basically, not on a lovely day like today. And it's like, well, no, not now, but. You know, <laughs> should should we not be thinking about possible communication across the globe now? About you know, well, could these? No, it's it's it, it, I don't know. It just feels like this sort Scott, of like, you, know, you Ivy League intellectual. We Americans know thinking is the enemy. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not expecting there to be like a big you know monologue <laughs> at the end about how we all came together in a sort of you know uh, Azamondius sort of plan. But it's the fact that this scientist is so sort of like brushing it off that he's sort of like, yeah, possibly, but not today because I'm going to try and go for a swim. And it's just like, yeah, not today because yeah. I'm going to F you hard tonight, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say, but yeah, exactly. And it just, sort of, and that's when the film ends with them sort of like, you know, literally walking into the sunset and you're like, oh, it, it, you know, it's sort of. It would have been nice if she had said like, you know, you know, hubby, uh, you know, great congratulations on that victory. You do know that 75% of the planet has already been conquered and is ruled by the aliens because yeah. they didn't give them that gun. Yeah. Yeah, because they only have the wand as well, don't they, really? So it's, no, um... it's, it's not important. I mean, you know, I, I find myself pretty charmed by that ending. Um, yes. And, and yeah. he is... And I find myself charmed by this movie in general, although it really is a reactionary movie. Um, but I still find it charming. And even that ending, that ending is like, you know, he is burying her feet in the sand just to sort of like play with her. And then they, it's like, honey, don't work that female brain of yours into a frenzy worrying about <laughs> things. We men have this taken care of. You forget I'm an American man. We fought and defeat them, and we'll defeat them again. You know, in the meantime, you know, uh, don't worry that uh, that uh, cute little brain of yours. Uh, it is such a sort of like restoration of American patriarchy at the ending. <laughs> it's so thoroughly, by far, the most sexist moment in the whole film. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a kind of charm to, like, you know, the, to just the beach and the symbol of like the beach and the surf as mm -hmm. life goes on. There is still joy in life. Um, you know, we can let go. It's really the only moment of sort of like recreation that you see and that they're this relatively young married couple. They clearly, you know, she is a stereotypical sort of like emotional 50s woman. Yes. You know, there's a lot of sexism going on there. But um, but there is this sort of like it's supposed to be this like restoration of, of normalcy within mm -hmm. this patriarchal, you know, he-man American context, but it still has some charm to it. Uh, I don't know. What did you think? No, I, I did. And I agree, actually, with the whole film that, that you're right. There's a real charm to this film and, and it, it does. Um, 
that's why I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I am, I am, <laughs> not ragging both. On it. but I did, I did enjoy it. I, you know, it's, and I said, but as I said, I wish I'd seen this earlier. Like, if I'd have watched this as a little kid, if I'd have seen this as a kid, I think, you know, it would be, it would probably have a real place in my heart as one of those nostalgia films because it is, it's very straightforward. There's no, you know, if, if, you know, if I'd have seen this and then seen like Independence Day and Mars Attacks, like you, you know, you take more from them, but. It's it's not it's not looking to tax itself too much, and it has a, it does have a charm. It definitely has a charm that I, I enjoy um, in a, in a similar way to some of the other films. You, you say about the sexism. One of the things I found is interesting throughout is we've had female protagonists in the other films. Most cases, this is the least proactive or the least um, you know of, of all those female those female protagonists. Like she, she's literally there just to follow her husband around and scream every now and then. Like she doesn't do anything else. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned Independence Day, you know, and you know, like I think of like Roland Emmerich and you know, and of course Michael Bay. And it's sort of like, is your response that Emmerich and Bay are, are too in love with female agency? Well, we've got the fifties film for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right, yeah. yeah. If you thought Megan Fox was thinking for herself way too much, <laughs> you need you need to see this film. It's very true. I mean, and, and, but at the same time, you know, the, and and of course we're we're middle aged white guys. We can mm-hmm. afford to find this charming, right? Yeah. But it is charming, and you know, and and I don't know that, like, you know, obviously. You and I would be the first people, we're liberal, you and I would be the first people to say a world in which women, uh, a, a woman cannot be that scientist is mm-hmm. a flawed woman, uh, it's a flawed world, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the country is losing productivity, uh, you know, shooting itself in the foot by not mm. letting that happen. At the same time, you know, she's a secretary. And, you know, like, her outfits are, like, beautiful and charming and she's got poise in this movie they're fighting aliens and she doesn't get any dust on her you know (laughs) like there is a kind of charm to this you know presentation of traditional female sort of and male sexuality Mm. even though it's been deconstructed we all know that should not be the that probably never was the norm but certainly should not be the only options um and everybody falls on spectrums uh, when it comes to these things and their sexuality and how they, you know, uh, correspond to traditional attributes. This is the most traditional locked in gender yes. norms movie we've seen. But it's not that that shouldn't be a possibility either. Right. You mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. part of the fun of uh, of, you know, like, uh, you know, drag balls and, and all of this is stealing that you know or or not stealing but um you know playing with uh Mm. these traditional ideas of male and female um so i don't think it's that those ideas are wrong or don't have charm in and of themselves it's just we all know they're bullshit and this ronald reagan world of like don't you don't you worry little honey (laughs) like us men have it taken care of it's absurd yeah um, and as you say, like, you know, like, this film has no agenda in that respect. So it's not even, you know, it's not, it's not even attempting 
to do that, which is you know for from a from a fifth, 1956 film, I, I'm not expecting that. Um, before we before we you know we do because again like, there's no great theme or anything to tap into on this, so I'll, you know, but I do want to talk about Harry House and effects, um, because you know around this time, um, you know the the other end of this is probably the Ed Wood, sort of like Plan Nine from Outer Space, which is sort of like pie lids you know or pie tins glued together on a bit of string <clears throat> and that becomes that sort of like the cliche and you know we saw in the last episode the uh you know um iconic but very typical rocket ship shape in in Quatermass and that sort of mm-hmm. thing this doesn't have that even the skyhook rockets look a little mm-hmm. closer to something you know akin to reality um, but then, when you see the flying saucers and they move, and they, you know, the gun comes out the bottom, the laser sort of uh, dish comes out the bottom of the ship and stuff, and then when the final destruction, like Harry Housen's, you know, done good really in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I have in my notes like, you know, just how much stock footage it reuses right from you know the solar flares you know mm-hmm. and at one point the aliens i mean this is so sort of uh what is it uh 2012 right where it's like we're gonna put all the disasters together but i think yeah. at one point the aliens cause a solar flare yeah. <laughs> just so they can use all the footage of flooding and winds and tornadoes and waves crashing and stuff and it's cool footage but I think that's the reason why they had to go with more conventional rockets is they're going to cut in Saturn V footage, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is that. But it, I, I I think that works better um, because you have these things that you would potentially see on the news or you're going to see sort of, you know, you are going to be able to relate to compared to a, a UFO, a, you know, a literal flying saucer. Um, that That is... Um, you know, it gives you that contrast, contrast and, and contradiction. If they were to show the Skyhook rockets and they all looked like that cylind- you know, that sort of cylindrical thing with the with the fins coming off and that sort of thing, I don't think it would have stood as a contrast. Um, but yeah, I, I think they 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 work in that way because um, I, I was I don't you say about the charm. I was just charmed by the say the special effects in this, the the, the UFOs flying around. The stock footage is good. It weirdly mm. it makes again it makes me chuckle when they're sort of like you know people are escaping. <laughs> here's here's stock footage of people running. Um, well, uh, the, the the other thing is like uh, Harryhausen is great, right? Like all mm. of these sort of crashing the, into the Capitol. You know, there's a scene where you know the flying saucers crashing to the ground uh, on a city street. You know, mm. and it's, it, I don't know. I mean, it's a, looks like New York. I mean, I don't know where the hell those buildings are in D.C. But, um, and uh, of course, everything is sort of like, it's crashing too slowly, right? Um, you know, there are problems, you know, obviously with stop motion, you get, you know, there's only a certain number of frames. But stuff looks really good. It's still yeah. like they're doing it. And you and I are both big fans of like, you know, just do it try to make this effect if it looks a bit trash you know yeah. we'll go with it you know we get the idea just do an honest job um and and i agree like the stock footage the stock footage is you know i mean to a modern eye it's just overdone none of it mm. matches the other thing that that they do a lot is intermixing stock footage with um you know with uh close-ups 
So it's yes. like, okay, here's the Pentagon. And then you, you know, you don't, you never cut to that medium shot in which the characters are coming out of the Pentagon that makes your brain go, oh, you know, yes, they were in that scene. Instead, you cut to like an extreme close up of just the door frame. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know what your brain is supposed to be doing there. But I think to a modern eye, it's to a contemporary eye, we, that's obvious. The other thing is they use so much rear projection. And again, to <laughs> to our eyes, it's like you remember the fire, the fire yeah. scene in the forest, which I'm is like running in one direction, which They're is parody, running, like though. an attack of the killer tomatoes, yeah. right? Where the running one direction, running the other. <laughs> <laughs> the fact is, though, they're not running because yeah. that is quite obviously projection mm-hmm. moving past them, and they are on the spot. And they're like, pretend to run. We're not going to see your legs. Don't worry about that. So just move your arms and sort of move your feet on the spot. And it looks like this horrendous slow run that they they look like they're trotting along. And it it, it does. It looks awful at one point because they they do pull out to a shot where she runs up because that's when the the cop and the the her, her father the general get kicked out of the 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 spaceship. And uh, you find it dropped out. <laughs> dropped, yeah. I, it, I imagine them being dropped. They fall too slowly, too. Yeah. Yes. But she runs up to him and she's running like twice as fast as she was, like, you know, literally seconds ago. Um, and that does look silly. Uh, you know, that's one of those things where, and again, like, they couldn't even afford to have in the foreground, even like between them, someone have some flame between them and the camera just to sort of give you that bit of sort of 3D, that bit of context. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know what's going on. And, you know, I, I found myself thinking of uh, Forbidden Planet, um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite 50s films and one of my favorite sci-fi films ever. Um, uh, I have the poster uh, <laughs> framed on my wall. Um, but it uh, I feel like the special effects work better in that. Oh, They're yeah. more convincing. Um, this is much more a sort of like on the cheap, but I don't mind them. And even the laughable stuff, it's sort of like, you know, we've talked about sort of like for me that I always go back to, you know, Ed Wood in, in the Burton film saying like people don't care. Like, you know, you knocked over the uh, tombstone in this scene. And Ed Wood says, like, it doesn't matter. People get the idea. They get what you're going for. Yeah. Cut and move on. And I think there's a lot of. Like that goes against every instinct in my body as such a perfectionist OCD person. <laughs> and yet at the same time, that's so liberating and so creative. And when I'm actually watching a film, I notice those flaws. You and I notice how ridiculous those things look. And yet we're still, it's like, I know what you're doing there. They're running yeah. the other direction. It still looks kind of cool. I, I, you know, I know what you're trying to convey. That's okay. Mm. Yeah, it's it's that. I mean, again, you take things in context. You know, like you say, if this, if that rear projection appeared in, um, you know, Arrival, if there was a moment in Arrival, (laughs) and all of a sudden Amy Adams was running across a wood that was blatant uh, rear projection, we'd have a problem. You know, there'd be outcry. What are you playing at? You know, but then you do, you put it in a different context. This is in the 50s. You know, this is clearly more about the flying saucers and the, the eventual city destruction than it is about these other things. There were budgetary restraints, and it's only for a couple of seconds. Like, it's not a big part of the film. So, you do, you take it in the context that it's, you know, that it's, um, 
And, and I think you do that for a lot of things. And we do that with a lot of things within these these 50s films. We've done it with others. And I'm sure we will definitely do it with the with the rest of the series. Um, yeah, again, it's part of that charm. You know, if it was... Uh, if the film was really bad in, in that sort of, you know, in every respect, like we've, we've joked that it is, but like it does silly things. But if, if it was really bad, it would stand out. It wouldn't work. But it sort of works as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to forgive those little bits and pieces. Where you're like, yeah, silly, but I get what they're trying to do. You know, like you say. Um, so I'm able to look past them and, and enjoy enjoy them for what they are. No, I agree. And I think that, you know, another thing that I find, you know, I think of that Ed Wood quote a lot. Another thing that I find is that the stuff that has, you know, look, I mean, I am the most, uh, you know, sort of intellectually arrogant, you know, academic uh, (laughs) by heart and by training. But, you know, the older I get, the more I remember um, all the stuff that I loved as a kid. And I go back to things that are that are able to provide me that kind of joy mm. and a lot of times the stuff that you know you know it's like uh you know the the smartest people in the world will still say you know i like uh i like artsy european cinema but you know uh seven nights out of ten I'm probably going to go for Independence Day or yeah. whatever dumb Hollywood blockbuster because, you know, it's funner. And and I think that's, you know, that's honest. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that the older I get, the more I discover those stories that I loved and that stick in my mind. And what sticks in my mind are those visuals, those ideas, yeah. even if their execution is not perfect. You know, the story is a vehicle to get to the brilliant swirling flying saucers. And what does it matter if a scientist, the, the scientist, you know, and his wife, if she doesn't stop the car as they're driving, as they're being accosted, <laughs> you know, does that really matter? What matters is I remember those flying saucers and I'm, they look so real. Can you imagine a whole generation of fifties kids going like, man, that looks so, I was right there with mm. those flying saucers. I know what that feels like, man. And then they see it as, you know, when they're old and it's finally on DVD or VHS. And they're like, you know, this looks kind of trash. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think there is a definite thing for that because, you know, um, and especially I hold a real affection for stop motion animation mm-hmm. and stuff. And you mentioned Clash of the Titans and stuff. And I love like Clash of the Titans, the Sinbad films and, and you know, <clears throat> and you, you do go back and they, they don't quite move right or they're a little slow whatever but and also like you know sometimes there'll be that the the issue of projection where the the people fighting the cyclops clearly aren't in the same shot as the cyclops but i can still watch that and go you know like say from a critical eye you look at it and go yeah do you know what it looks a bit rough doesn't quite work but there's a part of my brain as well that goes Dude, they're fighting a cyclops on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, and you go, that's awesome. And so that, that's that's the nine year old in me that's going, no, that's brilliant. That that is so cool. Um, and that that's sort of what this film sort of taps into, where, um, it's this. It, you, you mentioned Doctor Who earlier on, 
the 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 aliens in this when their when their helmets on there's a real feel of like doctor who alien about them mm, at least for yeah. me like um, the zygots they look at yes yeah, yeah that sort of thing and so to me i was like i know what this is so you know they're, they're not looking to do something special it's supposed to be a suit they've got no elbows for a start they don't move very well but again it's tapping into something another experience in me where i'm like yeah no fine i'm i'm with that you know i i love those those alien designs actually i mean and i found myself wondering in the middle of it in the middle of this film thinking like do i love those alien designs or do i hate them and i mean like the suit and i <laughs> couldn't quite that i was like you know they move slowly i hate the slow moving frankenstein monster aliens yeah. right it's such a cliche but I found myself charmed by that featureless helmet. And like you mm. said, it kind of taps into designs you've seen before. And it's the stormtrooper thing, right? You know, the the sort of like literally faceless adversary that you could feel okay killing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I love the way that big, fat, faceless helmet looks so alien and inhuman. Yeah, and I, I yeah I agree. I mean, yeah, they are bipedal and all that sort of thing. We've said before about that, and that's fine. But the fact that I say that there's no external, um, you know, it hasn't got eyes, it hasn't got sensors. However, when he puts it on, he's the what the the, the the scientist puts it on, and he does say like, well, actually, no, I, now I've got much wider vision, and I can hear things. It's like the sensors inside this helmet. Um, and so you do get this notion that, like, actually, this is a tool, and it is something alien, and that's quite cool. Unfortunately, I say it looks cool on the aliens when he puts it on. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm, you know, I'm afraid this is the only word that came to my head when it, when it, when he looked like, an, but it looked like a big bell end, like it looked like a big <laughs> the head of a giant cock. And I was just, I'm sorry, this is no one stopped and gone. <laughs> Can we film this from a different angle? Because this looks really unfortunate. Um, or do something else with it, you know. But no, it, it's a cool idea. Um, totally stolen for again. We're going to go back to Independence Day. Totally stolen for Independence Day. Yeah. Um, so well, I, uh, you know, and I, I caught the reference because I've seen the Ali G show, so I know what a mm, bell end is. Yeah. Um, but so, the other thing is, you yeah. see the cracks on the side of the, <laughs> you know, this is a prop that has seen better days. Like, they couldn't even give it to the prop department to repair. But there's one, there is, there's the same thing later on, before they take the alien down, because he's in the wood, isn't he? And he's sort of, he's about to fire, so he's raising his arms. And you can see there's a crack in one of the seams on one of his arms. <laughs> and, and again, like, I'm noticing this, but I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not bothered by it in that sense. I'm, 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 in, I'm quite enjoying it, you know. Um, well, the other thing is, you get to see from his point of view, the scientist's point of view, as as he's wearing it, and he's just like, "I feel like a Superman." Uh, you know, I've got superpowers. My vision is heightened, and I can see. And there's a demonstration of hearing what's being said in the parking mm. lot outside the window, you know. And then they cut to a shot from his point of view, and I said out loud, like. It's given me cataracts. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> every, it's funny every time that we have seen, including like in Terminator and, you know, every time that, you know, they try to show you like an alien's point of view or, you know, an enhanced point of view. They can't literally make it HD, right? You can't, yeah. you know, if you could, you would make the whole movie HD. So, so what they do is they always go for this kind of like fuzzy 
horrible thing, you know, or Westworld with the, you know, digital thing, right? Yeah, well, yeah exactly. But th this made me think of Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah. which is you know, again, I think taken this there's a reference point as the you know the predator that wears the helmet, and then uh, I've always had this problem with this thing of like you know with it, we you and I when well, I wear glasses, but like you and I, we, I as, as as humans and you know and even animals like you know the eye has developed to um, receive light in a certain way so that we can determine shapes and colors and movement and all this other stuff, right? It's allowed us to survive, and we have developed and evolved for thousands of years. Right? The eye is probably one of the most complicated and most fascinating things. That, you know, it's connected to the brain. We we literally trans you know it translates light into images, gives us distance and all this other stuff. And then you see an alien version. Well, like, you know, Predator is a really good example. Like, oh, it's got heat vision. It can travel. You know, and then you'll see the heat vision, and you go, yeah, but it can't see any of the trees. How is it swinging from branch to branch? Like, how is it not clattering into things? And then they remove the helmet, and it gets worse. And you, all I can think is like, I know you, this is supposed to be alien. I get that, but show me what other senses compensate for the fact mm. that this thing can barely see. Um, and it's the same with this alien, sort of like you know, and maybe even. A, because you know, it does, it shows this wavy thing, sort of like his version of vision, and he's like, I can see so much. And he's like, I again, I can't. I feel a bit seasick. Um, I'd have preferred it if he's like, I can't, I can't translate this. There's too much information. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think the human brain or the human eye is, is designed to, to tolerate this. But it's not. This is supposed to be this humanoid, this this the human experience. But that does always bother me when they try and give this alien view, and it's crap. Yes. And you're just like, well, what's your planet like? This is better. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. How bad are your eyes? I mean, I guess you could do it like when they've done in film and on Netflix, like the Daredevil sort of like radar vision. Yeah. Where, you know, in comics it's 2D, but when they do it in 3D, you sort of see this, you know, almost Matrix-like sort of ripple uh, along the surfaces. And then you could say like, oh, the Predator, you know, you mm. just light up those heat sources, you know, in, in color, um, and then you could buy it, right? But you're quite right. Like, how does, you know, there's also, not only are they bipedal, they're humanoid, they've got two arms, they've got a head, and apparently those devices are completely compatible for humans, yeah. yet, you know, you know, it's funny, like, of all of the, the intelligence or the, the willingness to go to try to show special effects shots to try to show one thing after another. All they can come up with with uh, for better vision is fogginess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I wonder if someone will come up with something. You know, the thing is, again, like to say, like, you know, it's, if it's, it can't, it doesn't have to be better. It just has to be different. Like, we can't see a full light spectrum. You know, we can't see ultraviolet. We can't see infrared. All right. If you could see those things, what benefits would it give you? You know, let's, let's, is there a is there a benefit where this, a, an alien could see those but not some of the light spectrum we could see? Mm -hmm. Is there a benefit to that under certain conditions? I don't know. And it's those sorts of things I always find it like you know don't just try and give better than don't give better than human, give different. Yeah, they're alien. Although, they're not... You know, I mean it'd be hard to do like you know I love those stories where like a Superman can see radio waves and he can you know <laughs> and see stuff like that. I I love that idea. Mm. Nobody's really visualized that well. Um, 
but you know, I mean, that might be hard to visualize. You're right. I, I mean, that's the smart choice, right? I mean, I would be satisfied if they just inverted the image and maybe brought up the contrast a little. You know, that would at least look different, like you're saying, within the what they could have done in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. And there is a limitation, but I'd like to see someone do something different. You know, Arrival did it with language and, and communication. <clears throat> um, and, you know, I, I'm looking for someone to do something a little different, maybe down the lines with, with vision or something like that. Again, though, this idea of them, you know, they, they've got good ideas. You know, mm. the... the, the <laughs> The um, delivery isn't always spot on. You know, I like the idea they they actually move in a different time spectrum. Like to them, they move faster. Okay, yeah. great. What does that mean? They don't. They bloody don't when they work on Earth. So, right. is there is there a reason for that? Is it because we've got a greater gravitational? You know, <laughs> is it is there a reason for it? You know, it could be that the suits they need to be in these suits because of gravity. That's why they can't move as quick, so they have to be reinforced. I don't know. There's got to be some reason for that, because that you can't say, "Well, we we move quicker in time than you. We move between your heartbeats, but we also move. We also move as slow as your granny with two bad hips." <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, uh, I I made the joke watching it that uh, you know uh, my mother is walks with a cane a lot, and I said, you know these. Wonderful aliens from another planet walked like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, who should, you know, not far off a nursing home walk. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I also, uh, I wanted to address the, the human technology levels in this film. Mm. If you sort of guffawed and had to pause it at uh, the, the language translation thing, uh, the closest I got to that was when, when he says we're launching, you know, like, well, we're launching another rocket tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, this is this idea of like we're building a rocket a day and launching a rocket every day. We've lost almost a dozen that the aliens have shot down, which, by the way, their explanation for is like we thought they might be weapons. A, they couldn't hurt you anyway if they were weapons. Yeah. B, how did you not know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, this absurd level of human technology and this optimism of like, you know, in the near future, we're going to be launching these rockets into outer space one a day, no problem. And the yeah. same thing, like you said, why do they give them 60 days? Well, they, you know, develop this sonic weapon, all of the conventional weapons, <laughs> you know, they could kill, I guess, one guy, but they're not, they can't take down a flying saucer. But these sonic weapons, you, you know, which, of course, look like plastic doohickeys attached mm. to, to Jeeps, um, which I'm fine with. But, you know, again, like this guy's like, hey, you know, at least he's been to the UFO and you can rationalize that he's seen something. You know, it makes sense as these movies go. That's still better than a lot of modern movies. Uh, but uh, this absurd confidence in, you know, t a human and American <laughs> You know, technology. Like, we're, we're, you know, this is the Ronald Reagan thing. Like, you know, we're just going to start Star Wars. We're America. We can we can build a laser system that'll knock ICBMs out of the sky. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I've seen it in a James Bond film. Of course we can do it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And it, but I think that comes to this era. Like, I, 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 you, know, you said about optimism, which I think is there. 
I mean, all of these films have been populated, regardless of the scenario, with with an optimism towards technology and space. Um, whether it be like you know Quatermass just firing them off whenever he feels like it, or the fact that we can we can build one to save you know to to escape our planet, or each of these films has had this sort of like you know I almost want to say naivety, but I'd rather say it's an optimism of um, that it's almost to me like this retrospective. I want to see it as they reflect back on what was created during the, the Second World War. Look all this technology we yeah. built. You know, we we yes, we built the atomic bomb, and but look, we can turn that to good. You know, we can take a V two rocket, make it better, add a, a you know a nuclear engine, and we can actually make a rocket that can take us into space. There, there, there seems to be this sort of positivity of taking these weapons of war, and and look, now we're looking, we've we've won the war, and now we're looking to the future and, and interstellar travel and all this other stuff. And I think that's quite kind of cool. That that part I do kind of like, that there is this thing of like, you know, there's these constant thing of like, no, no, we're going to build... Even even in this, you know, they talk about atomic and hydrogen weapons and, and you know, the big artillery and all this other stuff. But they, 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 they work on sound. They discover this sound weapon. And again, the point they make is, no, no, don't drop the big weapons because that'll kill us you fucking idiots like you know don't waste our own cities let's look at some other solution um and so i do like the fact that this is leaning into of, of science progression away from weapons of war which i've seen through all these films um and continues with this so not not fully they, they still do lean into the we've got big guns um but it's still it's still there yeah and i think that that naivete that optimism i mean it is the thing that, you know, that, I mean, it was still reasonable to think that there might be life on other planets in the solar system, you know, mm. not that many years ago before this film was made. Um, and I, I missed that era and the era of possibility, the era where, you know, it would seem reasonable that in 2001 we'd be going to Jupiter. That was mm. totally reasonable, scientifically responsible. Um and you think about what somebody at this time experienced in their lifetimes. You mentioned, you know, the the you know the nuclear bomb, the atom bomb, the hydrogen bomb. Uh, you know, Europe destroyed and rebuilt. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the um, you know it, your at this point your parents, if you were you know thirty, your parents probably remembered a time before cars were widespread. Yeah. Like, we traveled by horse and buggy, you know? <laughs> and now yeah. we have bombers and, you know, Sputnik and, you know, missiles that are taking us into space. And it's, you know, matter of time before, you know, I mean, humans are going up there, chimps are going up there. This is going on. Mm. You know, we've gone within one human lifetime from having no modern medicine almost and having no, you know, yeah. having no cars to our cities, having highways running through the middle of them and having, you know, launching rockets and into space and having, you know, at the atomic bomb, surely in another lifetime, we're going to be, you know, have colonized Jupiter and, and, you know, or whatever. Um, that, is amazing to think of. And and so mm. 
I love that, you know, it's probably the, you know, I hate 50s nostalgia um, because it is so obviously racist and sexist as this film is, right? I mean, yeah. not a lot of black soldiers fighting these aliens. Um, but uh, I miss that. I miss, The nostalgia that I have is for that optimism yeah. uh, for the human race. It's interesting how this sort of, you know, we are shadowed. I, I wonder when this, this optimism died. And I think it's in the 60s. I think there's this sort of, and not to go through the whole of the late 20th century history, but you get this thing of like, you know, this optimism of the 50s sort of becomes, um, you know, it grows in the 60s. And then obviously, you know, everyone sort of, I think, puts a bit of a point on like the death of Kennedy. But you get sort of like this, you know, the expectations just aren't met. And when they sort of, you know, you're like, well, why aren't we doing this? Well, we can go to the moon by 69. Are we going to do that? And then, you know, not much more, you know, we can't seem to get past that. It's like, you know, oh, well, look, it's been 30 years, you know, since we we were promised flying cars. And Mm -hmm. uh, when am I going to get my, uh, you know, when am I going to get Rosa, my uh, robot maid? Uh What, like... Where's that coming from? And I think there was there's an expectation, but even like it even came up to the to the into the eighties. I think some of that sort of happened. I mean, if you look at like Back to the Future two, yes, I was just watching that to, uh, yesterday, and I thought yeah. the same thing. I was like, my god, yeah, twenty fifteen flying cars and you know self drying clothes and and self uh, lacing shoes, and they did those self lacing shoes as a bit of a novelty item and hoverboards like you know there was this there was this again this thing of like in thirty years' time we can have all we can have all this technology, and I know it's a film, and I know it's supposed to be a bit of a, a bit silly, but you well, know, but also they predict the weather, and you know doc says like it's pouring, what are we gonna do he says, oh, give it five yeah. seconds or whatever. We, you know, we like we've got the weather thing managed. He goes into a store and he uh, is buying, an, you know, when he buys the almanac, she has to explain what a dust cover is. It's like now that we have like dust repelling paper. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, I love like, that. Yeah, like that's you know, it's it's sort of like, well, why not? Who the hell knows what we're gonna? Even paper is gonna be completely different in thirty years. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, and in, in a sense, it was. We got rid of it, you know, with the internet. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I, I mean, I think that, you know, really the, the hippie movement and, you know, mm-hmm. the, is an optimistic movement. Um, but by the a- end of the 60s, you know, there is, you know, I mean, Woodstock was the tail end of all that. You have the Manson murders. You yeah, have, yeah. you know, Vietnam is just continuing for America. And then you have also the economy just keeps mm-hmm. crashing over and over. Just full recessions. In American mm. uh, in America uh, from the late 60s through uh, the late 70s, um, you know, in 10 years, mm. four recessions. And it's like, you know, we couldn't figure out stagflation. And by the 70s, it's just like, you know, jets are being hijacked. We can't get mm. our hostages back. Oil's going on, you know, and it just seems like we cannot do those things. And that's why, you know, Reagan, you know, what he sold was this kind of, you know, fifties optimism of we're the best country in the world. We can do whatever we want. You know, we can win wars again, you know, uh, the defeat and the humiliation. Uh, I mean, obviously Vietnam lost 
and, and Laos and Cambodia lost yeah. millions of people. The tragedy was theirs, not ours. But America's sense of just humiliation and impotency, you know, and Reagan sold us on that. But again, but there's and then there was but it was daft naivete, right? It's like, mm. you know, it's like Star Wars and and nonsense and it doesn't matter for you know trading but, on, do, but is that is that not you know i, I would say that this exists in all countries or at least in in you know I, I can't speak for all countries that's ridiculous but in many western countries this idea that's what the republican dream is that's the that's the republican cell that's the conservative cell over here that's the tory cell you know that's what brexit was all about we were better off before we joined uh europe in 76 all right well what have you got for us then you know, look back at this this happy era. There's a show called Call the Midwife, which is set in the the fifties, and it's this nostalgia trip of how these nurses, these you know community nurses and stuff, linked with nuns, and everyone's like, oh, it was wasn't it lovely? What what a wonderful time it was when everyone looked after each other. No, it was disease ridden and it stank. Everyone was poor. You know, there's a reason you have to look out for each other because there was nobody else. You know, we didn't have an NHS. We didn't have these things. Like, you know, like it, it, what it was fine, but it wasn't great. Stop looking back. Yeah. To this, and, is, and relying on the Catholic Church means that they can refuse service if you're uh, lesbian or gay, right? You yeah. know, imagine if you're a trans person. It's like, no, look. Yeah, we don't want to help you. What the hell? We don't know what you are. We accept you know, nonsense, yeah. Satan nonsense. And you know, I, I, I often accept the the irony of the fact that I have a podcast called Twentieth Century Geek, which is very much about looking back at the nostalgia. But, <laughs> and and I'm fine with that. But you know, that's more about the history of where we've come from. But it's about looking back at the history and then saying, look where we've come from, how far we've come. It was fun and it's great, and I will highlight films that you know, books or comics, or whatever, great. But it's that thing of them. But we've come, we've come, we've come a long way, and I do find this this thing of like you know, like um, America first, or you know, uh, Britain first, or whatever, you know, sort of like we're a sovereign nation. He's sort of like it's the, this this optimism of of you know, it's gone. It's weird that it's sort of stagnated. And then we look back at this film and the other films of the fifties, and they're very much like looking forward. You know, we 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 quickly pointed out with Worlds Collide that there was this thing of like looking at to the youth, saving the youth of that society. And now there's a stagnation of, you know, looking back to when we were great, and you're like, well, look forward and become great. But you know, mm -hmm. the world, it's, it's it's I don't know. You know, it's nice to see that there was optimism then, and maybe it's because I don't feel that it's there now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we both we love to go on digressions, but yeah. I mean, this sense of optimism, this naivete, I find, you know, you're identifying that optimism with like the the Brexit movement and, and America first. And and I identify that optimism with a kind of liberal optimism. Mm. My country's, you know, to our to our profound shame still does not have socialized medicine. Um you know, for any American listeners, you know, the rest of the world already has it and it hasn't caused a complete social <laughs> collapse. OK, in fact, they're quite proud of it. Um, so, you know, we are behind the times in a lot of ways and, you know, ahead of the times and others. Right. But, you know, I mean, our economic system is for all of its faults and income inequality being terrible. You know, it, capital flows much more freely here. Mm. Um you know, you can 
you can do a lot of things. Um, as many problems as there are, there are good things too. But I identify that that optimism with my sense of liberalism of like, yeah, there can be a better world. We can do better. You know, don't tell me that America could uh, build, uh, put somebody on the moon and, you know, run and win World War II, not single handedly, but OK. Yeah. And, you know, do all of these things. But we cannot uh, give health care to our people when the rest of the world has. I mean, there is a defeatism on the side of the right. Um, oh, no, but, that's that, that's my point. That's I, yeah. I completely agree. I, that's exactly my point. Is this this selling? And I think there's a def, you know you say about the defeatism on the right, but I think there's a defeative notion in in people that have that leaning. It's it's almost like looking back to better days, mm-hmm. and then people will try and sell you nostalgia um, of yeah we can go back to those better days, and it, they weren't better days for anybody. Let's be perfectly honest. Um, but but I agree, and I sort of it's when I do look forward, and I'm like, look, look, if I can have the technology, of you and I can sit and have this conversation on a Sunday, you know, afternoon, evening, relatively simply through our laptops and computers, mm-hmm. how the hell is it that sort of like you know other things seem so difficult? The technology exists. We are pushing forward, and I think you know I think we are making advances socially. I think we're making mm-hmm. advances technology, and there's these wonderful things happening. Yet there's still this sort of and I think it's because of the speed of what we're doing now. You say about you know, in, in a certain person's lifetime, like you know, the, the shift of technology has changed. But we, in our lifetime, things have gone from you know, I think of gaming consoles and, and, and video ent- you know entertainment and <clears throat> you know in in my adulthood, I've gone from mobile phones. I mean, my first mobile phone was when I was eight, eighteen. You know, I'm, I'm thirty nine. Probably a flip phone with no internet. Yeah, yeah, it had yeah. Snake. If anyone can remember the game yeah. Snake, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, you know, that was it. Um, and I had to sort of like, you know, I won't go off on it, but it was it was a Nokia thirty two ten, so it was basically a brick. There was there are now there are now houses made in third world countries of those phones. That's where they all went. Um, <laughs> but the um um, you know, and that's the technology advances we've got now. And so there are these things, but I still think there's this selling of this fifties ideal. People would watch this film and go that was a better time and that's what i think certain populist movements are trying to sell and i think like i say it's almost defeatist because it's not looking to the future it's looking to the past and that's what worries me that there is these notions of when people like trump and and boris johnson get in that's what people are looking for because times are tough things are hard but it was simpler in them days it was easier And I think that's that's the problem. That's the, the the problem of when you look at these films, that it it does present that naivety and it presents that optimism, and people see it as a positivity of the fifties and go, "Oh, that was a better time." It's not the film's fault because it was literally made in the fifties, but I don't know. There is that notion I think of which I think is dangerous at times. Well, and I think that you know, getting back to the film, I mean, the film does. You know, I mean, I think the the Ronald Reagan inflection, you know, of the voice is is mm. clear. Um, it, it's a very reactionary film in a lot of ways. It's a very America first kind of film. It, in fact, it do, is not concerned with the rest of the world, and it's uh, you know essentially pro military. It imagines the military would listen to a scientist. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I think that. There are a lot of reactionary things to it and that 
you know, the idea of going back to this, I mean, there is a kind of in both Brexit and in, you know, the sort of America first thing, um, you know, which, by the way, again, for listeners who might not know, is literally a Nazi slogan. America yeah. first was the slogan of the American Nazi movement. And Trump knew that when he chose it. So he was announcing he was a Nazi then and everybody knew it. Um, but. Uh, but, you know, there is a kind of optimism, but it's a nationalist optimism, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an optimism for the species or technology. It's a it's an optimism that says, much like, you know, this movie, in a way, not to put too much weight on, put pressure on this movie, but a kind of like, yeah, America can do it, right? This masculine, yeah. you know, we can do it. We'll invent some new technology. Like, don't worry about global warming. We invented a sonic gun in two months. We will take care of that. No need to recycle your trash. Um, you know, there is a kind of like dumb nationalistic optimism there. And it's the same optimism of Brexit. I mean, it's like, you know, well, you know, Britain's a great country. You know, we have shown that over and over again. What could we do if we unleash that greatness instead of being bound to Brussels? You know, mm there is a kind of dumb optimism there, but it's not the optimism. It's an optimism that is explicitly eschews the social progress that we've made that doesn't look at uh, trans people and uh, people of color and gays and uh, every minority group uh, being treated as full citizens and humans. It looks mm. at that and says, that's a problem. Let's go back to that beach-like ending when women were women and men were men. Yeah. And, I mean, and that is a regressive idea, but I don't think that people who... And I'm charmed by that ending, but I don't see that... You know, I, I, I think that I, people who want to go back to that and are sold on the worldview of this film... Mm. Um, you know, instead of on the technological optimism that I'm sold on, um, you know, don't see that as progress. Mm. They don't see taking care of our citizens as progress, including, you know, black kids being shot by the police. You yeah. know, uh, paying attention to that is not progress by uh, by some people's lights. No, and that's a fair. Agreed. Totally. I think we, we, we've, you know, it was sort of, no, no, we're violently agreeing on the same thing. I think you're right. And I think that's something to, we will potentially see less of. Quater Mass the, 2. Yeah. <laughs> Qu yeah, Quater Mass 2 is a very diverse film. No, it's really not. Um, um, Yes, but we, we'll, we'll round it on that. I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, I think, again, we have gone on a tangent, which is fine, because I think that's what, we, that's what we're here to do. But there isn't a great more deal to say about this film. But uh, we will um, round out uh, on <clears throat> on Earth versus the Flying Saucers. So I think before we do, let, let's have our sort of final thoughts, really, on the, on this film. So before we go out, so Julian, what were your final thoughts on Earth versus the Flying Saucers? I mean, real quick, I think, you know, we've both done very little but poke holes in, in it, <laughs> including with the special effects. Uh, and, you know, I've hammered it for being regressive, but it is charming. Uh, mm. You know, it could be revised. It could cut probably 20 minutes without hurting it. But those are still interesting things. It doesn't drag too much. Um, it is a charming movie that I mm -hmm. agree with you. We should have watched earlier in our lives. Yes, no, I agree. It is. It's a charming film. I think there's a lot in here, and th this film 
is exactly one of the reasons I started 20th Century Geek. Um, because watching this film, I see everything that comes after it. Like we mentioned sort of, we, we, we hammered home the points of Independence Day, but, um, you know, let's say Mars Attacks. But a- any film that's had, you know, especially during the 50s, but any film that sort of taps into this idea of alien invasion, like that, th- this is sort of the archetype. This is really where it sort of starts. Um, we've seen films that have gone before it. You know, it came from outer space. is is less of an invasion film. It's that that's, you know, that's not that's. I mean, that's closer to like an invasion of the body snatchers. Mm-hmm. But these out and out sort of any, any film that where you know, what, there's like Skyline or Battle uh, Los Angeles. Any of these films, all you can watch any of them. If you watch this and then watch any of them, you will see that DNA trickling through all of those films and i find that fascinating that that's the case um watching this gives me a new appreciation for uh, mars attacks to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest i think but <laughs> you know i may have to go back and watch that now uh you know and and, and with a different eye which is interesting um so yeah i i did i find the film charming i thought it was, it was good fun i wish i'd seen this as, as, a, as a young kid it does have many, many flaws, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and but I can enjoy them. I can laugh at the idea of reading a dictionary to a translator, um, and you know, it gives me, it'll make me chuckle. That's fine. It's it's dated, but it's a good film, uh, and and another one where I'm glad that I've watched it, and I'm glad it's been on our list. Amen. So yeah. So anyway, so moving forward, moving, jumping a, a year uh, to 1957, uh, and we will be doing. We're going to be completing our sort of Quatermass trilogy, um, and we'll be visiting Quatermass two. Um, so Brian Levy, angry Quatermass, is back. Um, <laughs> a, a little less angry in this film. Um, I'm just I'm... glad I can understand what he's saying because all the rest of them, like, I, well, I don't know what's going on. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Us crazy Brits um, speak uh, English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a. Uh, Quatermass 2 is a very different film um, to to what we've had before, and I'm, I'm looking forward to see your thoughts on, on it. Um, and uh, I'm going to be picking up the uh, TV series. Uh, the, 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 so Quatermass um, experiment was lost. As, as I said, only two episodes existed. Quatermass 2, I've seen bits of, so I'm going to be picking that up to watch all of the, t- the original TV show to see the comparisons. Um but yes, I'm very much looking forward to us talking about talking about Hammer's version of Quatermass Two. I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't want to give anything away because it's a, it's a very different film. Um, but that's the next episode. Then we're going to be ending the films, as I believe. I'm just going to double check. Um, end ending the fifties run then with um, the Tingler, uh, the William Castle sort of uh, sci-fi horror with Vincent Price, um, which I'm looking forward to. So that's yeah, that's what we've got coming up. Um, but Julian, as always, this was uh, was a wonderful film, uh, and enjoyed. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad to have enjoyed it with you. Yeah, indeed, and it's always a joy talking with you. I always learn and, and notice new things and think about things differently. Uh, I don't always point this out at the end of every episode, but I always <laughs> think it, and I'm always left with ideas and thoughts that I didn't have going in. So no. thank you for that. No, it's always the same. That's why I love these. Each one of these is a learning experience, and that's sort of why 
one of the things I've always been really keen on with this is that each one of these is a raw conversation. There's very little editing goes into these, mainly because it's a it's a flowing of ideas in a lot of cases. And I like I'm hoping the listeners enjoy the fact that it's a journey, uh, and that we go on that. Um, so yes, it is. It's always good. But anyway, yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the rest of these this films. But ladies and gentlemen, hopefully you you know you may have seen this film. What were your thoughts? Do you think we're right? Is this a conservative film? Is this a good film? What are your thoughts on the Harry Houston effects? All these things. Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Pod Time Space. Come and say hello. And if you really like what we're doing, even if you don't, actually, I don't care. <laughs> Go to your podcast catcher where you are listening to now and leave a review. One stars, two stars, or five stars. Just leave a review. Hopefully, all five stars. But we'll we will look at all feedback and uh, we appreciate the review. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. And uh, we shall see you on the next episode. There's something very important I forgot to tell you. What? Don't cross the streams.